Good afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the on News Talk 96.5 KPEL, the Joe Cunningham Show, with you once again today on a beautiful Wednesday after a very ugly Tuesday. A little bit breezy out there, but cooler and nice and clear out in the skies. And it looks like we're getting some good weather over the next several days. 232-1542 if you want to call in. I want to turn to Alabama because there is a lot of drama happening there. And I started telling you guys a little bit about this last week, but we have, of course, some developments. So last week, I pointed out that uh, Donald Trump is making a few primaries in in some states, kind of the, the, the keystone to his midterm strategy of showing that he is still relevant, he is still a leading factor in Republican politics. But the problem is that those candidates that he's been endorsing aren't really doing so hot. In fact, the Democrats in Georgia are not mentioning David Perdue, who is Trump's preferred candidate. The Republican Governors Association is all in for Brian Kemp. They're not mentioning Perdue at all. The Kemp campaign is not even mentioning David Perdue at all. Nobody is paying any attention to David Perdue and his numbers are plummeting. But he is not the only one. In Alabama, you have U.S. Representative Mo Brooks running for Senate against a handful of other Republicans. This includes uh, Mike Durant, who is currently in the lead, according to the latest poll, uh, with 35%. Katie Britt, with uh, 28.5%. And then in a distant third is Mo Brooks at 16%. Then you have Lily Bodie with 6.5%, and 14.5% remain undecided. The Republican primary there has been kind of bitter. Uh, you have Mo Brooks, who is running as the very pro-Trump uh Election of 2020, you know, election 2020 needs to be a focal point kind of candidate. Well, not too long ago, Brooks actually said the best way to prevent a 2020 is to move on and look at 2022 and 2024. He essentially started walking away from the stolen election rhetoric, which is actually rhetoric that voters, if they care about it, is pushing voters in the opposite direction. So Brooks and his campaign started to walk away from it. Now, what you need to understand is that Brooks and his campaign have been terrible on the campaign trail throughout Alabama in this race. They have not done a good job. Brooks walked away from the stolen election stuff, and that gave Donald Trump the opportunity. Remember, I told y'all last week, Donald Trump was thinking about rescinding his endorsement of Mo Brooks. Brooks made it a point, Donald Trump endorsed me. That was a huge focal point of his campaign. But as of last week, Trump was looking at options elsewhere. We have this story that came out overnight and early this morning that Trump pulled his endorsement of Brooks. Mo Brooks of Alabama made a horrible mistake recently when he went woke and stated, referring to the 2020 presidential election, put that behind you, put that behind you, despite the fact that the election was rife with fraud and irregularities, blah, 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 blah. 
When I endorsed Mo Brooks, he had a 44-point lead and was unstoppable. He then hired a new campaign staff who brilliantly convinced him to stop talking about the 2020 election. He listened to them, according to the polls. Mo's 44-point lead totally evaporated, based on his tw- all based on his 2020, blah, 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 blah. Trump is still making it about the 2020 election. The problem is Trump is pulling one of his biggest endorsements. There, were, there are two major endorsements in the country right now that, that Trump really is, was putting a lot, of, uh, a lot of his weight behind, and that was Mo Brooks and David Perdue, and both candidates are essentially collapsing. Brooks is clearly not happy. In a statement this afternoon, Brooks responded to Trump's claim that his campaign is being run poorly, that him running away from the 2020 stuff, all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. Brooks statement, it's disappointing that just like in 2017, President Trump lets Mitch McConnell manipulate him again. Every single negative TV ad against our campaign has come from McConnell and his allies I wish President Trump wouldn't fall for McConnell's ploys, but once again, he has. I have not changed. I'm the only proven America first candidate in this Senate race. I'm the only candidate who fought voter fraud in the and election theft when it was counted between November 3rd and January 6th. I repeat what has prompted Trump's ire. The only legal way America can prevent 2020's election debacle is for patriotic Americans to focus on and win the 2022 and 2024 elections so that we have the power to enact laws that give us honest and accurate elections. President Trump asked me, this is the important part, this is the stuff I want to get to, which I'll probably have to get to after the break once I get through everything else. President Trump asked me to rescind the 2020 elections, immediately remove Joe Biden from the White House, immediately put President Trump back in the White House, and hold a new special election for the presidency. As a lawyer, I've repeatedly advised President Trump that January 6th was the final election contest verdict, and neither the U.S. Constitution nor the U.S. Code permit what President Trump asks, period. I've told President Trump the truth, knowing full well that it might cause him to rescind his endorsement. Blah, 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 blah. This is, so there's a lot to unpack in this statement. Let's start with the Mitch McConnell stuff. This isn't coming out of the blue. There have been stories, there's been speculation that Mitch McConnell has been getting deeply involved in this race. Why? Well, because Mo Brooks said that if he, if he was elected United States Senator, he would vote against McConnell being the majority leader in the Senate. Big no-no in the U.S. Senate standing against Mitch McConnell and his seat of power. You don't do that. Mitch McConnell has access to a lot of resources, and he will bully you right out of the race. And that's what he's done. Rather than accept that Trump had endorsed Brooks, McConnell and his chosen candidate, Katie Britt, worked to sabotage Brooks. Stories were consistently planted that Brooks had hired a team of never-Trumpers and that he was working close with Jeff Sessions. So what Trump is accusing Brooks of is stuff that was apparently planted in the media by McConnell and Katie Britt's allies. Remember, Britt is in second place in the most recent poll in the Republican primary in Alabama. Brooks' other opponent, Durant, who's currently in the lead, also met with McConnell's team to arrange a meeting between Durant and McConnell. 
So McConnell is going to have his choice regardless. I mean, he prefers Katie Britt, apparently, but Durant also seems to be willing to work with McConnell, so he'd be fine with that. This is absolutely believable. McConnell is well known to exert his influence and keep control over the Senate and Senate Republicans. Brooks did fall victim to this, but he also was a terrible candidate. We're going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, talk a little bit more about this and what's going on at the confirmation hearings of Katanji Brown-Jackson. All that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to call in. So... Donald Trump drops his endorsement of Mo Brooks in Alabama's Senate race. Mo Brooks fires back, says that Donald Trump is once again being duped by Mitch McConnell. But there's something in his statement, again, I want to focus on. In Brooks' statement, firing back at Donald Trump, President Trump asked me to rescind the 2020 elections, immediately remove Joe Biden from the White House, immediately put President Trump back in the White House, and hold a new special election for the presidency. As a lawyer, I've repeatedly advised President Trump that January 6th was the final election contest verdict, and neither the U.S. Constitution nor the U.S. Code permit what President Trump asks, period. I've, to, uh, I've told President Trump the truth, knowing full well that it might cause President Trump to rescind his endorsement, but I took a sworn oath to defend and protect the U.S. Constitution. I honor my oath. That is the way I am. I break my sworn oath for no man. That part of the statement is actually going to lead to trouble. Brooks, like I said, has not been a great candidate. He's been kind of all over the place. He hasn't really been able to maintain a consistent message. When he did focus on the 2020 stuff, it, it wasn't going very well. And now that he has completely switched his messaging, hired a new team, his numbers have just plummeted. Brooks' admission at the end of his statement about what Trump told him to do is probably going to end up being problematic. He's essentially telling everybody that will read the statement that, yes, Trump did want to overturn the election and do so in ways that aren't exactly legal or constitutional. That will, of course, spark renewed discussion on the matter and overshadow Brooks' race. In other words, as he's trying to run away from the 2020 election, he's also set himself up to be forced to take more questions on it. It's bad strategy, legal and political. It's ill-advised, and you can bet there are enough people out there who are going to try to make this a legal problem for both men. We'll continue to see. Trump is promising a new endorsement in the future. I'm thinking probably he's going to look at Mike Durant, who again has 35% of the vote in Alabama, according to the most recent, of, of the Republican primary. Um, he's got around 35% of the vote in the Republican primary. Probably comes out ahead and gets into a runoff against whatever Democrat is out there. Uh, Katie Britt could see a surge, possibly, but it, it's not guaranteed. 
That is Mitch McConnell's preferred candidate, though. And that perception out there could actually, in Alabama, keep her numbers from ever rising up a bit more. Mike Durant could be the compromise for a lot of Republicans. Brooks, the bottom has just fallen out. He he had a 44% lead at one point and is now down to 16%, a distant third, to Katie Britt and Mike Durant. But the thing here is that these races that Trump is getting involved in quite directly are having not a positive in, in, they're, they're, they're not positive outcomes for Trump and his endorsement power, but they are actually negative outcomes. Right now, given the way David Perdue's campaign is floundering, Brian Kemp gets into a runoff with Stacey Abrams and will win that one. And neither Stacey Abrams nor David Perdue will win the governorship of Georgia. In Alabama, Mike Durant or Katie Britt could be the Republican uh, nominee against Doug Jones, who you can guarantee is not going to win that race. Doug Jones is not very popular. He's a Democrat who won because he went up against Roy Moore, who was a terrible candidate, had all sorts of things out there about him. The Republicans are going to take that Alabama seat. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Because right now, the Republicans just need a net of one seat. That's all they need to retake the Senate in November. The problem is, you have this race in Alabama, where Republican infighting could cause a problem. I think Alabama Republicans will win that one. But Lord, is it messy. It's a flaming poop show, for lack of more appropriate, but also not FCC-friendly terminology. It is a mess in Alabama. In Pennsylvania, who's the leading Republican there? Dr. Mehmet Oz, a celebrity who is not really taking the race very seriously. In Arizona... Governor Doug Ducey was contemplating a run for Senate, but Donald Trump said that if he did, he would get involved, and Ducey doesn't want to go through that, so he's going to stick around. And so you have a bunch of, frankly, crazy people in Arizona wanting to run for governor there, run run for Senate there. In Georgia, you have Herschel Walker, who is the leading Republican, will probably be the Republican nominee in Georgia based on name ID alone but has so many negatives out there against him that Raphael Warnock, who has some problems himself, some domestic issues himself, and is losing popularity in Georgia, you know the Democrats are going to pull out everything they can against Herschel Walker and make that a really bloody race. Republicans have a very good opportunity to win. There are several weak Democrats out there. Interestingly enough, it looks like in Nevada the Republicans could actually pull out the win there, and that could be it. But if you start losing in other places that you should win, how do you make sure that you get that at least that 51st Senate seat? If you get a net of one seat, the Republicans block officially the Biden agenda for the next two years. It won't happen. Nothing that the Biden administration wants will happen. We already know that the House is more than likely going to flip. The Democrats' lead in the House 
is narrow. Their, their advantage in the House is very narrow. You have upwards of 30 Democrats retiring, several of whom have right now contested districts. And you have a lot more Democrats who are in contested districts who are going to run again and are going to lose. The Democrats will probably lose the House. But if you really want to stick it to the Biden administration, you take the Senate as well. You make it as difficult as possible for the Biden administration. So you need that 51st seat. And the Democrats don't really have that great a bench in any of these seats that are up for contest. But the Republicans are not practicing better quality control in their candidate choices. And as much as I know some of y'all out there will not want to hear me say it, Trump's involvement so far looks like it is not nearly as helpful as some Republicans were hoping. Trump is either no effect or somewhat of a drag on some of these candidates and in some of these races. It looks like it looks like his influence is waning a little bit, which is to be expected. Trump doesn't have a social media platform, a mainstream one like Twitter or Facebook. He was thrown off of there. There is uh, the the Truth Network that they launched, but that's not really picked up a whole lot of mainstream numbers. You have Gitter, which is out there, and I think his statements are out there. He emails his statements to supporters and to the media, and the media reports it. But he doesn't have a platform. He doesn't have a way of getting his message out there. So he relies on some of these candidates. Well, the candidates are learning. They have to focus on contemporary issues. They can't fight the issues of 2020. And because of that, Trump's message is completely just rained out. 232-1542, if you want to join in the conversation. When we come back and update what's going on in the Senate confirmation hearings of Katanji Brown-Jackson, that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to call in. You can also catch me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. You can find some of the links of the stuff I've written today, some other interesting links that I've kind of stumbled across. Uh, but right now, I want to go back to something I was saying yesterday. No one expects Katanji Brown Jackson to be a conservative justice at the Supreme Court. They don't even expect her to be like in the middle or libertarian or anything like that. They expect her to be a progressive judge, which is fine. Her confirmation is inevitable, and I expect a bunch of Republicans will inevitably cross the aisle to vote for her, especially Republicans who are up for re-election this year. But throughout this hearing, yesterday and today, Republicans have been fairly expertly proving to the Democrats that there are serious problems with their process. Jackson is having to flee from critical race theory. She will not define what actually constitutes being a woman. And she isn't going into great detail about when life begins 
and when life and when in life equal protection under the 14th Amendment actually applies to a person. Our own Senator John Kennedy asked her that. When does equal protection of the laws attached to a human being? Her response was, and I'm quoting now, well, Senator, I believe that the Supreme Court, actually, I don't actually know the answer to that question. I'm sorry. She, she avoided answering that question. Yesterday was a 13-hour marathon of questioning. Today has been several more hours that will continue. Featuring Democrats praising Jackson's virtues and qualifications, Republicans getting revenge for the hearings of Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett, and both sides trying to pin her down on key Supreme Court issues. It's not been a great hearing for Jackson. Yes, she she is actually kind of pushing back against Josh Hawley and these ideas that she needs to be held accountable for this record when that's not what the Supreme Court actually does, uh, dealing with sentencing and stuff like that. But the Democrats are the ones who have made it a point to look at Jackson's record as a lower court judge. So it's all fair game. It also requires a deeper look at what her jurisprudence, the, the, her philosophy behind law is. And she's giving no answers to that. And there's a reason why. I said this yesterday, and I'll say it again. There are teams of people that prep candidates for any sort of federal nomination, including to the Supreme Court. And based on the answers that she is giving today and that she gave yesterday, the team prepped her to not say anything overly progressive. Given the fact that her confirmation is inevitable if it was just a long party line vote, there's no reason that whoever's prepping her should worry about winning over Republicans. There's nothing Republicans can do to block this. It will happen. And voters don't vote on Supreme Court justices. Yet we keep seeing poll after poll being put out by polling firms and, and, and uh, news outlets saying, well, everybody supports her confirmation. Everybody supports the confirmation of the first black woman to the Supreme Court. Yeah, but again, they don't vote for her. So what is this prep team trying to avoid if they don't want her giving away a whole bunch of progressive talking points. They're terrified of two things. The first is Democrat senators who might flip. Joe Manchin, Kirsten Cinema, But also, they're worried about voters in 2022. Because while voters don't vote on Supreme Court nominees... They do vote for the parties behind that, that nominate them. And this is supposed to be nonpartisan. What we fail to remember sometimes is that the Supreme Court is supposed to be a nonpartisan entity. The partisanship comes from political, uh, not political, uh, judicial philosophy. Progressive judges interpret the Constitution and laws a certain way. Conservative judges 
view it a different way. And what we get are interpretations that align mostly along partisan lines, but they have their own kind of nuances to them. But it's not, this is a Democratic or Republican judge. It's a conservative or progressive judge. But they're worried about their own, the the people prepping Jackson are worried about the Democrats in the Senate and the voters who might hear something super progressive that frightens them and want to put a check to that by voting in more Republicans to make sure that if another spot opens up, the Democrats don't get their way and put another ultra-progressive judge on the bench. This is all political. It's supposed to be apolitical, but it's all political. The Democrats are so terrified of poll numbers and voters that they're going to avoid whatever controversy they can by putting somebody who talks like a half-decent moderate. It's either that or the team absolutely neglected to prepare her for social issues like abortion, transgenderism, anything like that. But again, these are teams that are put together specifically to prep them to predict and answer what senators, particularly senators from the other side, are going to ask. It happens all the time. It happens no matter the party, no matter what administration is in charge. There are teams that are pulled together, consultants, politicians, staffers, all and they, they come together. They pull in every news article they can. They pull in every poll they can. They pull in all the stuff they need to help create a, an informed response. There's no chance that they just failed to to prepare her for social issues. They are, however, terrified of 2022. And so they want to make sure they're rocking the boat as little as possible. The Biden team does not want another failure, which you only get if you lose members of your own party in the Senate. You could lose a Joe Manchin or Kirsten Cinema if Ketanji Brown Jackson says something so far to the left and so far out there it goes against everything those two have been saying for the last several months. You could risk losing them. And the Biden administration is so terrified of Manchin and Cinema, and they're so terrified of voters in November that they're going to make sure they rock the boat as little as possible. 232-1542, if you want to join in. When we come back, some other news stories out there. Talk about that. Some stuff. Um, there is, uh, I'll just tease to this, there is a U.S. program to give a million dollars to anybody who can identify human rights violations conducted by Israel. I'll have that when we come back here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Glad to be with y'all today in the final segment of the day. The U.S. State Department has offered a grant of up to nearly a million dollars for projects that include reporting human, vi- human rights violations by Israel, raising concern about the potential for abuse by organizations seeking boycotts, sanctions, and international law tribunals against Israel. This is being... Uh, This is written over at the Jerusalem Post. 
The Bureau of Democracy, Human Rights, and Labor announced an open competition for projects that strengthen accountability and human rights in Israel and the West Bank and Gaza last month, thought to be the first of its kind from Washington. A lot of non-government agencies, basically, we've never seen this before. And for good reason. It sounds like a very targeted campaign to report uh, on the stuff happening between Israel and Palestine, the West Bank, Gaza, and all that. Um, Professor Gerald Steinberg, director of the NGO Monitor, which tracks funding for NGOs dealing with U.S.-related issues, said he has never heard or seen a U.S. funding announcement of this kind. Steinberg wrote a letter to U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Anthony Blinken saying that NGO projects of the kind described are exploited for campaigns targeting Israel. These grantees lobby the International Criminal Court and U.N. frameworks, such as biased commissions of inquiry, to sanction Israel, promote BDS, and use the apartheid label. The Biden administration has opposed the ICC investigation of Israel, the use of apartheid to describe Israel, and the U.S. Commission of Inquiry against Israel. In light of this, Steinberg wrote, they call on the State Department to reconsider that program. It's a very odd program, and it seems like it's targeting Israel. Now, the Democrats would love to target Israel. They, they, they have gone after Israel for years. They were not fans of the Abraham Accords and, and a lot of Donald Trump's policies toward Israel, even though those policies actually worked and actually made things better. So we'll see if that continues. I hope that gets pulled because that, like, like it's argued in that post, uh, that is rife for exploitation by hostile groups. None of y'all, well, I take that back. Some of y'all may know who Anna Winter is. If you don't, I don't blame you because Vogue is probably not your thing if you're reading Vogue. The, the, the Venn diagram between those who listen to KPL on a regular basis and those who read Vogue magazine, those circles in that Venn diagram barely touch, I assume. Anna Winter is the uh, editor uh, editor-in-chief at Vogue. I don't know anybody in media who has ever said a, possi- a positive thing about Anna Winter. But Winter is, drew the ire of our vice president, Kamala Harris. Uh, there was a leaked cover photo for Vogue. It featured Harris in Converse and Skinny Pants. And was paint and, and tried to paint her as an approachable but less than grand depiction of the incoming vice president. That is according to what folks are saying from inside um, the Harris camp. So this is all based on excerpts of a book. This will not pass Trump Biden in the battle for America's future. Kamala Harris didn't like that leaked cover photo because it made her look kind of detached and goofy and not really involved and not really a pro and, and all this stuff. And a winter said, well, it brings you down to everyone else's level. It makes you relatable to a lot more people. And Kamala Harris thought that just wasn't very distinguished for somebody in her position. At the same time, starting from before the inauguration and through it so far, Kamala Harris has been getting very offended 
at the at people in the Biden administration because they all stand up when Biden walks in the room, but they don't stand up when she walks in the room and she's getting her feelings hurt about this. That's right. We have a uh, easily, easily offended vice president who believes that she deserves equal respect to the sitting president of the United States. Had any previous vice president made these complaints, they would be laughed out of the White House. You, it just Nobody has ever had these complaints before. The vice president's job is, frankly, a thankless job. You're there to cast a tie-breaking vote in the Senate if you need to. And you're there to show up if the president is unable to show up through health emergency or whatever. Occasionally, the president sends you out on your own little missions to, to try to make an appearance and try to make things look good. Like, you know, when you're supposed to you know, show up at the border during an immigration crisis. The Biden administration and the Harris team have been butting heads pretty much nonstop. So I can't remember if it was a caller here, if it was somebody um, I was talking to outside of the show who gave possibly one of the best conspiracy theories I've ever heard. Kamala Harris wasn't picked for the job as a replacement for Joe Biden if something ever happened to him. Or as because, you know, there was there was, you know, kind of the conspiratorial talk at the time that what they're going to do is they're going to get Joe Biden, but they're going to coup him and put her and install her. But when you look at everything that's come out about Kamala Harris since the Biden administration took over, this conspiracy theory that was told to me that I actually think I might agree with is that it's the opposite. Kamala Harris was chosen so that nobody would be bold enough to pull the 25th Amendment on Joe Biden which I think is actually kind of funny and also very true. Because who in their right mind would initiate the 25th Amendment and say, and look between Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and say, you know what? Kamala's going to do a better job. There's no evidence of the fact she cannot run an office. Every elected office she's been in, there's been drama, there's been resignations, there's been unaccountability. I mean, it's just been awful. She cannot manage an office. And now she's getting irritated that people aren't standing up for her like they stand up for the president. She's finding it offensive. That'll do it for me today, you guys. Tune in tomorrow. We'll be right back here on the Joe Cunningham Show on News Talk 96.5 KPL. In the meantime, catch me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Email me, joe at redstay.com, and check out the podcast version of the show on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll talk to you tomorrow.